With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 104th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And thank you to all my listeners everywhere in the world. I sincerely appreciate you in all of the 70-plus countries where you are located. Thank you for sending all your messages, and please keep them coming. My October Privacy Professor Tips message was published on September 30th. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com or privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. And they are free, as they have always been since 2005. So, since I first started my radio podcast show back in January of 2018, I can't believe it's been that long now, I've done two or three show episodes covering cannabis, data security, and privacy. And the last show is way back in April 2019. And I know people are still so interested because I still get a lot of listeners of that episode, both, all of the episodes of uh, where we covered cannabis um, every month. So there's a great interest there. And a whole lot has happened, as you can probably imagine, or you've seen here and there in the news, since April of 2019. And a lot is going on now. So with all the new laws, as well as many security incidents and privacy breaches, um, there's a lot to catch up on. and, And there's more on the horizon. For example, just... Ten years ago, well, it's already been ten years ago is what I should say, on election day in the U.S., Colorado and the state of Washington legalized cannabis. And now here we are ten years later, um, and there's interest in this topic by the general public. A November 2021 Gallup poll, it revealed that 68% of all the U.S. public supports nationwide federal cannabis legalization. And legalization is not just here in the U.S. It's really gaining traction worldwide. I was very interested to see that early in September of this year, representatives from all 27 EU member states 
along with non-governmental experts and NGOs and private sector representatives, they gathered in Prague for the annual National Drug Coordinators Meeting, and their meeting topic this year centered on cannabis policy, specifically decriminalization. However, there are many data security and privacy and other related issues that need to be addressed related to and following the legalization of cannabis. So it's time to do another show. And I'm bringing back today my very popular guest expert who is on all those previous shows on cannabis, Michelle Dumay. First, a little bit about Michelle. Michelle Dumay is the mother of a terminally ill child born with a rare brain abnormality that required removal of nearly half her brain at birth. And with experience as her daughter's caregiver and medical advocate for more than 1,200 appointments, this has allowed Michelle to serve on patient advisory councils for at least two children's hospitals in Los Angeles and Phoenix, and one insurer, I think Mercy Care. As a trained chemist as well, Michelle first turned to conventional pharma for treatment of her daughter's seizures. She then tried medical cannabis to mitigate her daughter's seizures. And after some success, Michelle wanted to petition her insurance companies for co-payment. Well, Michelle has learned that many medical cannabis dispensaries are not HIPAA compliant and as such, cannot partner with insurance companies to serve cannabis patients. So working to solve her own problem and what's the problem of millions of cannabis using patients, Michelle entered the world of cannabis governance, risk, and compliance. So I'm so happy to welcome back to my show today, Michelle Dumay, chemist, mother, cannabis industry, privacy and security advocate and consultant. Michelle, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome back to the show. Wow, Rebecca, thank you so much for the introduction. And I cannot believe it, it, has, it has been uh, three years. So thank you. Yes, well, that time certainly went by quickly, especially going through a pandemic, <laughs> probably yes. a little bit there. But, you know, I want to start with a very simple, well, I'm going to say simple, and maybe it's not so simple, because a lot of people just when, you know, reacting to our past shows and just people I talk to, they're like, well, what's the difference between medical cannabis and marijuana. So is there a difference there? You know, Rebecca, it's really kind of a tough question because in in some cases, uh, it's just the knowledge of the person with whom you are speaking or who whom is speaking. And, you know, in, in some instances, though, medical cannabis is the product that a patient has legal access to. And marijuana is an illegal product 
you know, sometimes it's it's that definition, right? And, mm-hmm. and but just to be clear and to clarify, marijuana, the word marijuana is actually a, a slang term for cannabis. Ah. Um, and so just as weed or wacky tobacco or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, special lettuce or Mary Jane, those are all slang terms for cannabis. Oh, that's so interesting. And I don't know, Michelle, when you were t- saying that, it reminded me of this um, video I saw long eons ago when I was in high school. And it was such an old movie, even back then. It was a 1936 movie. It was called Reefer Madness. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So you've seen that before. And it's just very interesting how, you know, that was released to show a morality lesson. And, And, you know, it had an impact because the images just were so kind of bizarre to me when I watched it. Because, you know, people shown taking cannabis were, you know, they one you know committed suicide because of you know and I don't remember all the details. So there's a lot that's been talked about cannabis since you know almost a hundred years now in the U.S. Absolutely, and and sadly so that um, that was a, a a gross misrepresentation and very much a politicalization of you know of this plant and uh, a demonization of this plant. And however. It set the tone and the policy for the next 100 years, my friend. And so we are just on this side of the 100 years of the effects of reefer madness. And it's it's where we are now. It actually led us to this point. Wow. Yeah, it's really amazing the impact that certain things can have. Absolutely. Um, well, speaking then, you know, talking about the difference between medical cannabis and marijuana is often, whether it's legal or not, wherever you yes. happen to be having it, um, yes. is is cannabis then, is it at the federal level? I know a lot of people probably wonder, well, is it, it's probably legal at the federal level in the U.S. then, is, but is it? I mean, It is not. It is, it is not. It is, cannabis is federally still a controlled substance it's still illegal at the federal level yes so that's so interesting because a lot of people hear about that and yet there's so many states that have made it legal so it's almost like the federal enforcers if you will are kind of you know looking away um uh, as you know the the different states of course they almost have to because there's a lot of revenue coming in, I think, in states that have made it legal it, as well. It, billions, not not a little, not a lot, billions. Let's billions. We, we, must, we must quantify billions of dollars of tax dollar dollars go from the state level to the feds. Oh, well that explains a lot then. <laughs> so this <laughs> right is why there. you know Yeah, so this is why it, it is such a it is such a terribly complex situation because um, and and that's at every level. So that's not just the grower who's you know responsible. the The dispensary has to you know pay their taxes. But at all levels, the money has to has to go somewhere, you know, and and you you pay your you pay your tax on it. We pay our tax on it. The consumer pays their tax on it. The patient pays their tax on it. And so there's there's quite a, a billions 
that's all it is. Billions. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty significant. So when you were on last, then back in 2019, I mean, at that point in time, there were some states that had it legal. But what about the states now that have laws governing the sale and use and et cetera of, of cannabis? So at this, so in 19, we were talking. Let's just talk about the states. We won't talk about the territories as well. Sure. Um, but let's, well, let me just say one sentence quickly about the territories. All of the governing territories have um, a provision for the legalization of cannabis, eat, but generally as a medical use. Mm-hmm. So you, it, there's there's no territory that has it as an adult use, but all the territories have it as a medical use. But when we were talking in 19... Um, less than, I believe, less than half of the states had some sort of either a medical program accepted, a couple had a um, medical and adult use, but that was less than half of the states. Now, we've, we've gone beyond that, and so more than half of the states um, have them. So, if I recall... Maybe 23 or 25 states in when we were talking in 19 were allowed to disperse THC-containing products. So between then and now, roughly 13 or so more states have legalized THC-containing, uh, THC consumption since 19. Um, that would mean roughly that all the states except for Georgia, Indiana, um, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Wisconsin, and Wyoming have legalized some form. But excuse me, one little correction because I'm not sure the air date, but Mississippi has gone through the process um, of legalization. And I think by the time this airs, they're going to have written. The rules, or there will be in the process of writing the rules. So that's why it's 13 or so, right? Um, Most of those states I just mentioned at this time have permitted some form of consumption of CBD-containing products only. So all those that I just mentioned, CBD-containing products only. Highly regulated, regulated. Uh, but are not permitting THC-containing products at this time. So for our listeners, they might not know what's the difference between THC-containing and CBD. Does that have to do with potency or is it something else? No, that has to do with um, the the THC is is the component that in general is associated with a type of or a state of inebriation. So oh. there's that's the when when you think about the reefer madness, what mm-hmm. what was really being portrayed there grossly is that if one consumes marijuana, then one would have this state of inebriation. Mm. But 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 in fact, the the cannabis plant has some components that are inebriating, which is the THC in general, that that particular component of the of the plant, and the CBD component does not elicit 
an inebriation or um, uh, or any effect like that. But what we've also found, um, it's not since 19, but we've known this for several, several years, decades, that often when the plant when the plant is consumed in its whole form, meaning it has some THC, it has some CBD, and all the other hundred or so cannabinoids, it when they're consumed together, there's less of inebriation. So when you just take a product that has just a THC, sometimes that's, I mean, that's the component that that usually is associated with an inebriating effect. However, sometimes it really depends on the patient. So a patient that has, um, that's a cancer patient that's using a THC product, there's not that you would, they wouldn't describe the, the, the feeling that they have as being inebriation. It might be a feeling of not having nausea or not being, um, you know, sick to the point of, of, you know, uh, of regurgitating whatever it is they just consume. So there's there's this new understanding of how the plant, when it's consumed with all of its parts, is very, very um, uh, beneficial to the consumer. So we can't always say the THC is inebriating. However, in the general, you know, the general scheme of things, that's the component that leads to inebriation. Interesting. So, yeah, that's very that's very interesting to know. Well, well, talking about all those laws, then if we want to get in back to that into the like the privacy and security requirements, do you happen yeah. to know which of those laws include privacy or data security requirements? So, in general, every state, all the legislators, all the legislation says that there's some form of data privacy and or protection of that information in general. All of the states have it. Now, what becomes dicey, you know, quite honestly, is how are how is this state maintaining privacy versus another state? Oh. So, so... Think of think of the cannabis industry in every state as a spider web. So there are many parts to the web. And every piece theoretically should have data privacy protections for for the movement of data. However, some states are better at protecting the privacy because they've looked at it very differently than than others. So, for example, California has a very robust privacy data privacy framework for when it comes to patient information and when it comes to consumer information in general, patient information in particular. But um, there are some states that just do not. They don't even recognize that this data should be you know, secured or, um, or protected. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that's the sadness in the industry, in my, in my opinion, because we, we see that they don't understand. And so they're very loose in, in protecting it. So for example, when you go into a dispensary, you make a purchase, um, 
a bunch of information about the patient or about the consumer, very loose indifference here, the patient or the consumer is gathered by the retailer. So the dispensary, they might take your ID to to make sure that you're above whatever that state's age is for consumption. If you're in a market that allows for medical and non-medical consumption, right? So go in, I'm 21. Well, let me prove I'm 21. Well, you take my driver's license and all of that information there should be protected. Some states require that that protection be sent into a cloud. Some states require that that protection be maintained on location. But each state is different. Each state is different because we don't have a federal framework in which all states must work because it is not legal at the federal level. So what Mississippi decides Mississippi wants to do to protect someone or not is very different than what California has decided is very different than what Colorado has decided, is very different than what Ohio has legislated, is very different than what Michigan or Mississippi or uh, uh, Michigan or, or Montana has, has mandated. And when one state considers how they're going to have their own program, they look to other states. So states get to decide how they want to create their law And often a state will look to another state. And when they're looking to the other state, if they don't like what Florida did, they won't emulate Florida. If they do like what California did, then they'll emulate California in their own law. So if you don't think that if you thought that California was very effective, then you might follow California. If you don't like what California did, then you won't have that same, you won't put those same safeguards in your own legislation. Right. And, and, and so this makes it very difficult because what California has taken as the lead is an expensive proposition. Protect the information, protect the consumer. And many states do not want to follow suit. So this is why in all 50 states, California is the most progressive and it has the most robust protections for consumers. Gosh, you know, when you describe that, it reminds me too of our many different breach notice laws and how California was first way back in what 2003, 2004 with their breach notice laws. And it took several years, but now we have at least, what, 54, 55 state and territory breach notice laws, and they're all different, kind of like what you're saying. Uh, And so, go ahead. Indeed, indeed. So that, that does make it hard, and I'm wondering... Do any of those laws also give maybe access? And, you know, th- that that's getting into the weeds. But I guess some of the things I'm concerned with is basically giving rights to, like, the state governments or law enforcement or whomever to access that data in the law. I mean, I don't know yeah. if that exists or not. I, I think in... And and I'm not quite sure, so I don't want to speak with uh, with certainty. But let me share what I think I remember in many in the cases of many states. This actually was an issue for many states in the very beginning when the laws were first first being formulated. So the first few states that allowed for the statewide uh, 
access legalization to, to cannabis containing products. That actually was an issue. Do So when a person is pulled over on the side of the road in Florida, is the Floridian state trooper allowed to know if this medical patient, if this person is an actual patient? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we, we did find that there were um, some unpleasant meetings of the understanding of that law. And so, so yes, there were some problems initially. I have not heard of many at this point, but it does not mean that it doesn't exist because at this point we have, you know, 30 some odd states that have some form of legalization. Yes. And with a wide, wide range of protections, if any protections at all. Correct. Um, So, yeah, it seems like a, a federal rule or a federal regulation would certainly be beneficial to everyone, especially given that it is such a, a beneficial type of natural medicine for so many patients as well. Correct. So, oh gosh. So I want to, we're coming up on a break here. And when we come back, I want to uh, talk about a couple of different breaches with you. Um, sure. I don't, maybe I'll, I'll just tease a little bit since uh, we have just a few seconds here. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a breach that happened in February 2020 with TH Suites. And then another one from May 10th of 2022 with the Ontario Cannabis Store. But uh, right now, um, it's time to hear a quick break uh, or take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So I'm speaking today with Michelle Dumay, chemist, mother, cannabis industry, privacy and security advocate and consultant. And we are talking about cannabis, privacy and data security. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. And you can also get in touch with me through my PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Michelle Dumay, chemist, mother, cannabis industry, privacy and security advocate and consultant, and we're talking about cannabis privacy and data security. So before the break, we got into some of the laws uh, that have occurred, but let's now look at a, a couple of the breaches. So, reported back in February of 2020, it was reported that TH Suites, T H S U I T E S, and they make point of sale and management software that's used by cannabis dispensaries across the United States. They had a vulnerability. This wasn't even a breach as traditionally thought of, you know, with the the evil hackers coming in. No, this was actually a vulnerability, an unsecured system that ended up exposing online customers' full names, dates of birth, phone numbers, emails, addresses, their signatures, cannabis varieties that they have had purchased, quantities purchased, amount of money they paid for it, transaction dates, medical marijuana, patient names, medical ID numbers, locations. I mean, the gamut. Um, and, And this is an area where a lot of my regular listeners, you know, I started as a systems engineer. And when I I hear that this point of sale software was unsecured, I'm thinking, well, I want to scream because it's like you have to build security controls into your code. And it just sounds like the fact that this data was unsecured and accessible to anyone on the Internet. I mean, literally, you could do a Google search and you could find this information um, for over 85,000 files. So, you know, I'm going to stop talking about what I think of it from a programmer and engineer's point of view. But Michelle... Um, 
you know, what kind of damage do you think might have been done by that particular breach? I am nearly speechless every time I read this because it makes, these are patients, so it makes the most vulnerable of vulnerable position to be violated, right? And so you have 85,000 files, so that that means potentially um, as, a, as an employer, I could, I could do a search and see if this potential customer, uh, potential employee, this new employee, uh, if I find out if they if they use medical cannabis, and I can make a judgment about that that potential uh, employee, um, if they happen to have been in a state that was a little bit less progressive, not only could it be impactful negatively on their employment, but uh, their social circle could could be violated because I, I, as a patient, I have a right to to access whatever my doctor has uh, suggested that I use for my health. And so, um, what we have to remember, Rebecca, is that in most states, you must be qualified to be a patient. So you can't say, "Oh, you know what? I have." Uh, a toenail fungus, and I'd like to use medical cannabis for my toenails. You can use cannabis in most states as a patient for a certain type of of malady, cancer, epilepsy, um, uh, m- uh, many forms of uh, any form of HIV for a terminal illness. So. When you have this violation and these were patients, what becomes known is that this particular this particular person has some qualifying condition. Yeah. And so the magnitude of violation, and we're not even gonna get into now you've put my information out there so I could so a nefarious hacker just who just needs two bits of data about me can now you know, get in control of my life by taking my identity. Let's just set that aside as a reality. Mm-hmm. But you just violated, I've now become violated, my very being, my my or my current employer might now know that I have cancer. So you know what? They don't want to, they don't want to put me on that project because they might fear that my, you know, I might have a lot of medical bills. Or how about we fire them? in a state that has has the ability to fire anyone for any recourse because they did a search and they found their employee has uh, is using uh, medical cannabis and it, only for these certain ailments. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to fire them and we don't have to give cause. Yes. Well, and even what about children who have who need this medication too, as you're very, very aware. I mean, I'm thinking... Yes. Even with children, that could impact them so greatly at school. They could be, Correct. you know, denied attendance, perhaps, or, uh, you know, Correct. lose scholarships or any number of things. The, the ramifications and the impact of these, quote, unquote, vulnerabilities, but in general, these breaches is staggering. Oh. Yes. Well, I want to get to another one, too, uh, because I have so much to talk with you about. But there's another breach, and it's a government-run Ontario cannabis store. And that's the name of 
of the the organization, Ontario Cannabis Store, OCS for short. And, you know, they're the province's legal wholesaler of adult use marijuana. And uh, they had an incident that was reported in May of 2022 where um, they said that they had theft of sensitive business data. And the business data displayed the sales of each of their stores throughout the province for December 2021, store name, license number, sales days, a whole bunch of other information. They said that it did not involve consumer data, but Michelle, there's probably still concerns there, aren't there? Absolutely. So with regard to this one, um, this one hits home uh, for me as I am good friends with the with Canada's or Toronto's first African-American, I'm sorry, African-Canadian, black Canadian retail dispensary owner. Mm-hmm. Vivian, Wilson and I, Vivian Wilson and I have been friends for years. And when Vivi called and we were talking about this, she illuminated for me that one little phrase where you said it was just business data. Yes. That I hadn't really thought about in the report. So so let me just share some of her illumination. Oh good. You know, what Vivi said is that while yeah, it's not patient data, it's akin to insider trading because what was shared or breached was things like kilograms sold. So remember, in the Canadian system, the dispensary gets their product from the government, the, who is acting as the wholesaler. Right. So what is being shared is what location is selling the most product, what location is having the most sales. What particularly is selling well in this location in that particular part of the province? What were their sale through rates? Sale through rates at the beginning of the month. What were the total items or units sold? What was the inventory at the beginning? The inventory at the end. So this is the, we would call this insider information, and what happened was it was exposed. So now, on a business side, now this is my inference, now on a business side, what that means is, hmm, if I'm intending to purchase a dispensary, I want to, you know, broaden, I'm a large retailer, I want to I have a bigger store, bigger footprint, which of these stores is my stronger competition? Which one of these stores do I actually need to acquire now? Which one of these stores and what product sells the most? So if I'm going to open a location near in in that particular part of the city, I know what products I need to sell. See, this is a little bit different, right? This This is akin to, again, insider trading because, and yes, no patient or no consumer information was shared, but you just now expose the innards of every retailer that was in you know in this pack of data that was breached well and that can have devastating impact as you're as you're describing on the business owner because that 
that shows, I mean, their weak sides, right? I mean, if this is shown, people can tell, you know, maybe that they don't have to pay as much for their business if they did want to purchase it or... Correct. Correct. Or maybe even from a banking standpoint, what if they wanted a loan? Yep. And, you know, the banker might say, oh, well, you didn't sell too much that month. We heard. Yeah. Yeah. We heard that you didn't sell too much. So we're not, we're going to deny you the loan. Right. You know, so it's tough. Yeah. It's <laughs> tough. And it, it highlights, I think so many people today automatically relate data security to only personal data. But, you know, when I got into this business, when I started uh, focusing on security, it was before privacy was an issue. So it, it was mm-hmm. about protecting the business assets, which included data. And I think we've lost a lot of that in the general public's, you know, awareness. You're very aware of it. But but a lot of the general public, kind of like how they tried to dismiss it as an issue by saying, oh, well, it wasn't personal data. Well, that data is still very valuable. So, oh, man, how horrible for your friend. I mean, hopefully she didn't she hasn't seen yet, hopefully. that I mean, it was just, it's not even been a full year yet, has it? So, I guess. No, it was May of this year. So, you yes. know, as they, as they like to say, uh, the investigation is ongoing. Ah, yes. Well, it, that, we'll definitely uh, want to keep our eye on that. So, um, what, what do you have then? I mean, we've talked about some of the things that, um, that, organizations need to do better. Maybe the lawmakers need to do better. But what other cannabis-related uses and patients' data security incidents and privacy breaches have you heard about that concern you? And what recommendations do you have for preventing them? Can I start with the last part and talk about the recommendations? I I think, thank you, I think really um, to prevent data leakage, mm-hmm. you know, point-of-sale machines need endpoint protection. Let's start there. Yes. You know, I, th- I think encryption, you know, let's not treat it like climate change. Encryption is a thing. Let's encrypt yeah. this data. You know, mm-hmm. let's stop with the excuses, of, the excuses of encryption is complicated, encryption is expensive. Well, the breach is expensive to me as the consumer. Mm-hmm. The breach is expensive to me as the potential business owner, right? Um, I, I think we do need to have secure backups, and and I think that includes having proper network segmentation. I do think that's also very important. Um, I think with that, above that, um, before that, like federal level thought has to be there. We, we've got to move beyond where we started with the reefer madness. We need to have the federal, we need to have a federal framework. And the federal framework cannot be that it's illegal because that's not serving the consumer, that's not serving the patient, that's not serving the, the, the retailer, that's not serving the grower we need a federal framework of legalization so that we can begin to close some of these huge huge gaps um so i think it needs to start there it's 
well overdue. Um, people really don't think about the impact of of federal legalization because that means when going between states, I can now take my daughter's medicine between states. It means that when I get on a plane and I fly from Denver to Iowa and I'm in international space, I'm not at I'm not subjected to the fact that I've just committed a federal crime. My patients have a right to have access to their medicine. The moment I get in a plane, if I travel with a THC-containing product, I am at risk of being arrested because I've broken a federal law by getting in a mode of transport that goes across a state line. And let me just be very clear. If I'm traveling in a car from Arizona where cannabis is medically and adult use legal and I drive into California in a state where cannabis is medically and adult use legal and regulated, I have still committed a crime at the federal level because I crossed the state line. Mm. This is very impactful for a patient. This is very impactful for a consumer. You're go- you have something that's legal in one state. You're going to another state that's legal. But because we don't have a federal framework and I crossed over a state line, I committed a federal crime. That's such an important point, Michelle. And I'm glad you brought that up because I anticipate most of our our listeners, except for, you know, we have a lot of lawyers that listen, but even with the lawyers listening, if they don't specialize in this area, they might not have realized that. So, yeah, that's so important. Well, I do want to ask as a mother, so so you talked about, you know, for your daughter, if, if yeah. you were packing up hers, well, as the mother of a child who depends upon medical cannabis to yes. treat her medical symptoms, yes. um, and then also from... You know, putting on another hat as a scientist and a chemist, kind of attacking both of those, I guess. You know, what do you worry most about as a as a mother caring for a child versus a scientist and a chemist with regard to, you know, maybe medical cannabis in particular or just um, cannabis in, in general? I, I think taking the mother hat first mm-hmm. and with regard to her health care, I think about well, no one would rightfully say that I should stop giving her her other seizure meds because I have to travel, right? So it's a it's a double it's a double edged sword. You wouldn't tell me that well because you're crossing in a state line and 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 you need the medicine, but that particular medicine is illegal. Don't don't give her that medicine. So you you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that with her clonazepam. You wouldn't do that with any of her typical pharma medicine that you say you're traveling, it's it's illegal, so therefore stop using it. So you put me in a in a terrible situation. Yeah. You know, I either have to travel to a place where I have figured out that I can find a hopefully a similar product, but then when I get there I have to hope that the product is available in 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 the dispensary and I have to hope that I have the credentials to get into the dispensary. So it you put you put the patient in a terrible situation. I, I've been in terrible situations um, in regard to this. So my response is that if we legalized it, if we made her access to it easy, 
then her health care, when we wanted to spend time visiting other friends or even, you know, visiting other patients, it would be so much easier. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. I've had, I've, I've wrestled with difficult problems. I have, I've, I've sat in airports and wondered if, you know, uh, if because we brought the bag that had the THC containing uh, 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 medicine in it at one point doesn't have it now, it, you know, is the dog going to sniff it? Oh, yeah. Right? So in general, I don't travel with her with her THC meds. I, I try to, if I'm going to a place, I try to make the connection to make sure that I have access to it there, but I don't travel with it. Because I, I actually don't think I would look good in prison blues. It's just a personal preference. So I, I, I think that you put you put patients in very compromised situations, but every patient doesn't choose like I choose. I know plenty of families that have smuggled from one state line across another state line to save their kid. Yes. I, 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 I do know parents that have done it. I hope so, our federal lawmakers, I hope they're listening to you right now because they need to understand this and actually move on things, don't they? There's, there's actually a lawsuit that is still being litigated um, about this very thing because it's the civil right of the patient to have access to their medicine. Ah, yes. So um, um, I'm, I'm hoping that they're listening. I'm hoping. Um, and then sometimes as a, as a scientist, as a chemist, I think about it. I think about it differently, right? Is the patient maintaining the same level of component in their system? Are they able to do that? When example they're they're traveling or you know in, incurring these difficulties, what are we putting on a scientific level? What are we putting patients through? And then that's the sort of the the sadness of it. But the excitement of, of it is, as a chemist, as a as a as an advocate, I like that I'm hearing, like for example, in Panama, they they've developed a very scientific, robust program based uh, medical based program. The government is supporting research in uh, Canada, in Toronto, same thing. They are they just released um, a study that they're going to begin about epilepsy and medical cannabis use. I'm excited about that. There are seven or eight studies um, across the U.S. And again, each state that is choosing to use its resources, right, is able to do it because it's not legal at the federal level. There are some, there are some instances where there's a federal permissibility for its study. However, most of those studies used to be based on things related to harm. Yeah. How, you know, so you didn't really get into that other part of science. Well, harm is one thing, but beneficial use is something else. We've had a hundred years of the avoidance of research about the beneficial use of the plant. So we've turned that corner that we're starting to have some of these, um, some of this double blind, highly, highly um, uh, articulated scientific studies being done with the plant. So I'm excited about that, but I'd be more excited about if we started at the federal level with allowing it, that's, that's where I would be excited. That's, that's what I'm hopeful for. That's what I'm looking forward to, to the day that an actual prescription, yes. because it's very 
clear. All these medical cannabis patients that are using the product, not a single one of them has a prescription. Mm. Because you cannot have a prescription in the United States of America for a controlled substance. Very good point. Legally, <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, it's it's right. a legal thing. Well, we're we're coming up. Gosh, I, I wish I had an, another hour to talk about this with you, but we're we're coming up towards the end of our show, and I'm wondering what is the primary takeaway then that you want to leave our listeners with today, in maybe one or two minutes. I wish we had more time. Also, I think the I think the takeaway. Um, is that when it comes to cannabis, Mm -hmm. we both know a lot and we don't know enough. I think that's the primary takeaway. We know for sure that we need to legalize it on the federal level so we can do more research. Mm -hmm. We know that we can do a better job at protecting patient information, consumer information, We can secure the data at all levels. We know we can do this because we've seen it done across many industries. But we also know that this is an 8,000-year-old plant that was recorded in Texas, 8,000 years old. Cannabis is very, very old. And it was used as medicine 8,000 years ago. So I, I think that if I remember correctly, nearly every ancient people has used it or benefited from it. And so it seems quite inane that uh, that at this time in our current enlightened period, we're actually not quite enlightened, nor are we quite progressive as we could be. You have so much great information you provided us with today. I know that um, I'm going to get a lot of people who's hearing our show today asking you to come back so thank you for being my guest again today michelle i always enjoy so much speaking with you and also learning from you so thank you rebecca it's always an honor and a pleasure to 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 spend time with you and um you know, until next time, I, I certainly hope that the next time we talk, there's even more change, and and we're and we're doing well with this this issue of protecting data for for cannabis using consumers and patients. Absolutely. Um, so today, I've been speaking with Michelle Dumay, chemist, mother, cannabis industries, privacy and security advocate and consultant. And we've been talking about many different issues related to cannabis, particularly privacy and data security. So please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more on this topic? I know a lot of you are listening to those episodes, so I know... Uh, you have an interest, just let me know. And uh, you can send me your messages to my email using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you cannot make our scheduled debut show each month, you can always listen to the recordings. And you can find recordings of all my past shows on your favorite news app. And in addition to, of course, VoiceAmerica.com, the business channel website. So until our next show, 
ask those you do business with and who you work for and um, the dispensaries. If you go into cannabis dispensaries, ask them, what are they doing to to secure that information you've provided to them, that you've entrusted to them, uh, including making sure that your privacy is protected. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.